This is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today we're getting into the first archetype for Nurturing Machines, which is Blue-White. I'm discussing Blue-White first because I've drafted Blue-White a bunch. I've drafted each of Blue and White, I think, more than the other colors, and I've drafted them together a handful of times. I have kind of an addiction to uh, Raph, Weatherlight Stalwart, and so basically anytime I see that early in a draft, it's going to pull me into blue-white. And um, it's, you know, great in Dominar United, great in this format, very happy to get to play with it again. So I mentioned that card right off the bat because I think that it uh, meaningfully informs some of what's going on in blue-white. But without getting too much into that, slight comment on bigger picture stuff. My impression of the set so far is that it's really good. I've really enjoyed my drafts, and I've played a ton of games where it felt like I was just incredibly far behind early in the game and at various points, and I've managed to like barely crawl back and get out of it, which is exactly what I'm looking for in a format that uh, has the potential to be really snowball-y. Battles have been compared to Planeswalkers in terms of what they're trying to accomplish, uh, that being encouraging players to play with creatures by having these permanents that can be attacked so that uh, having better creature presence uh, leads to some kind of material advantage rather than just, you know, hoping that it ultimately ends up, you know, doing it, something meaningful in terms of life totals. In other words, killing your opponent. Planeswalkers have the issue that they don't require creatures. They're self-solving. If you have a Planeswalker, it's on your opponent to answer it. So your strategy can just be to present Planeswalkers and then answer your opponent's creatures and run away with it. Your strategy can't be to just present battles because the battles aren't self-solving. They give you some benefit off the top, but they're not going to win the game from there. You need to complete the battle and they're both not self-solving and they're limited in payoff. They give you one thing once, and then you have it, and you're done. So they don't snowball quite the same way that Planeswalkers do. Your opponent gets some kind of benefit, which might be worth a card, or might just be some tempo up front. Then they flip the battle, and they get usually like a good rate for a single card worth of value on the back. And all of that is good and can put someone pretty far ahead, but it's recoverable. And so I've played a bunch of games where, you know, my opponent flips an early battle and I'm like, okay, I'm pretty far behind here. But when I'm starting to stabilize and I have a deck with a bunch of card advantage and some removal, I'm like, well, I'm really far behind. I kind of like didn't get off to a great start. And now I'm on the back foot, but I'm still at 17 life or something because they've been attacking this battle. And that cushion, uh, the, you know, implied extra life that exists in this set, both from battles and even just like the gain lands and whatever, uh, really ends up meaningfully giving you an, a, like just the right amount of extra time to be able to um, turn things around. One of the most important things in terms of turning things around is the ability to make tempo positive plays. And one of my favorite ways to do that in this format, tying it back to blue-white, is with Convoke spells. So Convoke is primarily in uh, blue followed by red followed by white. White has two Convoke commons, Aerial Boost and Cut Short. Aerial Boost is one in a white. Convoke 
instant target creature gets plus two plus two and flying until end of turn cut short is uh two and a white instant uh kill a planeswalker is activated this turn or a tapped creature and aerial boost i think is uh actually the better of those cards because it works on offense or defense and it costs less mana I've found the ability to represent aerial boost with no untapped lands uh, and then ambush a flying creature when you're tapped out and don't have any flyers, for example, to be just a great way to swing tempo and regain control of the game. That's kind of like big picture, the sort of thing that's possible in blue white in the format in terms of like your positioning. But Let's get a little bit more into what blue and white decks look like rather than going too far down this rabbit hole. I need to go back a second to what I was saying about my first impression about the format being that it's good. It's not just good because it's not too snowbally. It's also good because I think it's really high synergy and your game plan like really matters and you need to understand it. You need to understand when and how you plan to attack and how you plan to block and how those things factor into competing over both your own battles and your opponent's battles. And there are assorted like tribal synergies, sac synergies, a variety of different kinds of synergies that you can you know, take or leave. You can have a deck that tries to use them or doesn't. You can sometimes use just a little bit of them or not. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility in how you draft and how you value cards for your deck. And for that reason, uh, I've heard others describe the format as cube-like. And the way in which it's meaningfully cube-like to me is that it's high synergy and decks do different things. And so basically all, all the different things that lead to you can't rely too much on the data. I'm someone who, as you know, loves heavily referencing the like 17 lands win rates but uh when i'm drafting a cube for example i basically ignore them because i assume that what i'm up to is just categorically different from what other people are up to i approached uh strixhaven pretty similarly and i think i'm going to do a lot of that with this set especially uh with archetypes that i'm more familiar with or archetypes where i'm doing something significantly different than what I think the aggregate version of that archetype does, which is going to be most of the time for most archetypes. So huge grain of salt on 17 lands data throughout the format, in my opinion, and certainly this like day one data, it's going to tell you some stuff, like some cards that are really underperforming or really overperforming are worth, you know, a second look one way or another, but a lot of those numbers are going to shift a lot, and a lot of them just don't matter for uh, how much you should want a card for a particular deck. Anytime you have a reason to believe that a card is going to perform uh, differently for you or fill a role that you're looking for, you should you know, generally trust that more than the data. Sometimes it's like, okay, well, how what percent better is this than it is in aggregate? And if a card's truly horrible and you're like, well, I use it a little bit better than average, then you might still want to pass up on it. But for the most part, what I'm looking at is not going to be super heavily data-driven for this format, I suspect. So blue-white specifically, I think, is able to be drafted in a lot of different ways. Blue-white can, for example, have uh, Knight synergies or Phyrexian synergies or neither of those. 
Um, you can care about spells, especially with Wrath, but also some other things, or you cannot. You can have a bunch of Convoke and care about like having tokens and cheap creatures to enable Convoke, or you cannot. There are just a lot of different approaches. So blue whites like signpost uncommons suggest, you know, the night lord suggests, hey, this is about knights. But like there are nine common knights in blue white and eleven common Phyrexians, counting the backsides of things and incubate tokens that can all have synergy with Phyrexian stuff. And so while it might look like, oh, it's knights, it's it's about as likely to be Phyrexians. You know, there's like the one Knight Lord at Uncommon, uh, and then there's like the 3 3 Vigilance Knight that gets bigger when you play a Knight. There's the 3 1 First Strike guy that you're, the 3 1 for 2 common that gets First Strike when you play a Knight. There's the Tapper that locks something down if you have another Knight. Like, there are some Knights, but um, there, there's some Knights Matters cards, but there are also Phyrexian Matters cards. They're mostly at Uncommon um, in Blue White. Uh, you're looking at most importantly, uh, the Corruption of Twashi, uh, which is the five mana blue enchantment that uh, incubates four and then draws a card whenever you transform something, and Phyrexian Awakening, which is the white version of that, three mana incubate four, uh, your Phyrexians have Vigilance, and then to a lesser extent you can use the other white cards, Norn's Inquisitor and Phyrexian Sensor, and... Then you get Sunder the Gateway and Eyes of Jetaxius. Sunder the Gateway is the sorcery speed disenchant that uh, incubates two, or you can just incubate two and immediately wake it up. So it can just be a two mana, two, two Phyrexian, basically. And then Eyes of Jetaxius is the three mana draw card, incubate three sorcery. The fact that both of those are spells that make basically creature tokens means that they both play really well with Wrath. So little bridge from, oh, I'm drafting blue-white because I have Wrath, into doing the Phyrexian thing. Another kind of secret Phyrexian synergy card is Scroll Shift, the flicker that draws a card for three mana, that can flicker enchantments uh, in addition to artifacts and creatures. So you can flicker your Corruption of Tawashi or Phyrexian Awakening to draw a card and investigate or uh, incubate four again, um, which... You know, I'm not going to play a lot of scroll shifts if I just have one Corruption or Awakening, but if you start to have, you know, two or three of those, it can be a pretty strong thing to look to do. And then, of course, you know, scroll shift, like any other instance, going to play well with Wrath. So there's a, there's a whole thing going on there. And this might not be relevant for all players or might not, you know, show up a lot in the data, but I can't talk about blue-white without acknowledging that looping is possible again. Uh, thanks to Oracle of Tragedy, the uh, two mana one three that when it ETBs or dies, you can uh, loot or you can shuffle up to four cards with mana value four or greater from your uh, graveyard into your library. This can't shuffle itself or other copies of it in, so it needs some help. Um, you have to have Oracle of Tragedy, and then if you're in blue white, you need something that will bounce or flicker it, like Scroll Shift or Afar's Dispersal. And then you can, you know, bounce and flicker and whatever your Oracle of Tragedy, shuffle in the cards that you want, cast them again. This all sounds like the kind of thing that's never really going to happen, especially in a format that's like really snowball-y. But uh, as people who have watched me play other formats know, I have ways of making this come up. I've already had a deck that did this. 
I trophied with that deck. It was very strong. And this kind of endgame package plays really well with some of the Convoke card advantage spells that give you a long game and then getting them back becomes kind of a whole thing. So about blue-white generally, sorry, this is a little bit messy because there are so many different things going on. I think almost all blue-white decks want to be able to take advantage of Convoke in some way because I just think the Convoke cards are so good. And that means that in general, I'm going to really look, have a low curve, a lot of cheap creatures. And even if you're not convoking, cards like Wrath really want you to have a low curve with a lot of cheap creatures because you want to have creatures in play to tap for Wrath. You want cheap spells that you can cast and then draw. And you want to be able to like keep drawing and casting cards and like play multiple spells in a turn rather than just like having expensive clunky stuff. So. I try to, you know, the top end of my deck, I want to mostly have Convoke. And then I want a lot of just like cheap interaction, cheap creatures and card draw. And that that package, that strategy, that plan has worked really well for me. I have found success with tempo oriented, like knight aggro decks. I think that the knight version of blue white is the most aggressive. And I've had success with like, the, the deck that I mentioned that could loop itself, I would attack eventually, but it would be very, very, very much an afterthought. Uh, if there was any chance I would want to block or use a creature to convoke or whatever, it was fine to just not attack. It didn't really matter. My opponent's life total was never relevant to me. I was, you know, dominating every late game. And if you're planning to not prioritize attacking then there's a good chance that you don't want to prioritize battles very highly. Whereas if you have a bunch of like creatures that have first strike on your turn and tap your opponent's stuff down and have flying, then you can probably pretty reliably flip battles and take good advantage of them. So you really want to think about like, where are you on that axis? And also for blue-white specifically, how many flyers do you have? Because it's really a lot easier to flip battles with flyers. This is to say, just like really think about how you expect your deck to play out while you're drafting and especially while you're building it to figure out, you know, if it makes sense to have battles, if it makes sense to have cut short, which, you know, kills tapped and attacking creatures, doesn't help you flip your own battles, doesn't help you attack. It helps if you think a race is going to be happening, but if you're solidly the aggressor, cut short's not where you want to be. I think that the Phyrexian deck is, you know, quite a bit slower than the uh, Knight deck because so much of what you're trying to do with that is, you know, play stuff like uh, Corruption of Tawashi and Isage Taxius, which give you card advantage and bodies that you have to spend more mana to, like, awaken. And... um that means that you're just structurally trying to have a stronger late game and trying to get like an end game advantage. Instants with Convoke are a whole different thing than sorceries with Convoke because instants with Convoke allow you to hold up your creatures to block. A deck can only have so many Convoke cards for the most part because you need your enablers and your payoffs and a lot of your cards that have Convoke don't help you convoke other cards. And so as far as how you allocate which convoke cards you're prioritizing, if you are defensive, 
it's going to be hard for you to uh, use sorcery speed convoking and tap all your stuff down and let your opponent hit damage. Whereas it's going to be kind of free to use instant speed convoke cards, pass, have all your creatures to block, and then at the end of your turn, use them all as extra mana and uh, play your instant speed convoke. Whereas if you're the aggressor and your opponent's on the back foot, then you might not want to tap a lot of your creatures because you're giving up damage. But when you when it is worth it to like tap your creatures to play something, you're not going to be as punished for that because the life the game's not about your life total, and your opponent might not be able to capitalize on your tapped creatures by attacking you. So like the uh, invoke three four flyer for six, for example, is a lot better. I mean, it's a knight. It tells you this. It's much better in like an aggressive knight deck than it is in like one of the controlling versions of blue light convoke oh i should also mention printing champion specifically uh printing champion is the three mana two two flying knight that makes a one one red and blue elemental when it enters the battlefield currently or at least when i checked a few hours ago this was the uh highest win rate common on 17 lands it's fantastic in blue white regardless of what your strategy is basically because it's two bodies, they block well, uh, one of them has flying, it attacks well, it threatens battles well, it's a knight, and most importantly, it's two bodies for three mana for Convoke, which just makes it really, really easy to enable your there. On that note, you know, I mentioned uh, that I want a low curve for Convoke. I should say specifically, I really value one-drops. Uh, even some of the mediocre one-drops I will play if I can't get better one drops um, because I think that just like having the creature on the board is going to be valuable, especially for Convoke, but also just for, you know, interactions with battles or whatever. I knew this was going to be a little scattered and rambly, so I, I jotted down the key points. So let's let's just summarize key points here. No matter what your deck does, I think you want to maximize Convoke. You know, cheap creatures are good. Think about your curve just in general cheaper cards in this archetype than some other archetypes in general, again, largely due to card flow. Think a lot about whether you're looking for offensive or defensive spells and how you're trying to attack battles and when. Flyers make attacking battles a lot easier. Uh, the color pair is just super flexible and versatile, so you really need to, you know, have a plan rather than, like, just kind of scattered focus. You know, you have a lot to do with your mana, with creatures that transform and your card draw stuff and everything. Is another reason to keep your casting costs low. So I'm going to turn it over to chat for questions. Should be a lot more to talk about, especially given how kind of non-prescriptive this has been, which is a little awkward for a podcast that's probably largely about trying to give, you know, prescriptions for success. But with the flexibility of this archetype, I think that you can only do so much of that. So. Thanks, as always, to the newest patrons at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes, Adam and Christian. And uh, let's get to some questions. Oh, uh, of course, if, if you would like to, um, you know, be acknowledged, support the podcast, get some benefits, uh, check all of that out at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. So do you have opinions on the playability of the two white blue bounce a creature battle or the three blue tap and stun a creature battle yes i like both of those a lot if you are you know the like aggressive uh blue white decks especially the knight 
blue light decks. I've had really good experiences with both of them. They're kind of cool in that they're like I mentioned that battles aren't self-solving the way that planeswalkers are, where planeswalkers, you know, just kind of do their thing by themselves. Battles, you have to um, have creatures to like attack them to make them do anything. In a different way, the, those two are self-solving in that they answer your opponent's blocker. So it's a lot easier to play and instantly flip them. And given how much I want to curve out and play flyers and stuff anyway in this archetype, I'm really happy to, you know, have these battles that I can instantly convert that then give me like really good creatures and also give me some tempo with the bouncing or locking down my opponent's stuff. The flip side of that, giving you the um, knight, the flying knight with power and toughness equal to the number of creatures you control, getting that huge body has been awesome. It dominates fights over other battles, ends the game really quickly. You know, blue and white often have, you know, small creatures and they're going wide. And so the fact that you're going wide, giving you a really big creature has been great. And then the blue one that, you know, stuns a thing and gives you a creature like the creature drawing cards there and having flying is really nice. Probably not as strong as the gold card. It's a monocolored card, but I'm, I'm generally happy with them in blue-white. Also, like, while blue-white knights is aggressive, I feel like it's really happy to play the kind of, like, snowball-y game rather than the, like, get them dead game. And Like, I generally don't feel like I'm suffering a lot from the implied life gain I'm giving my opponent by attacking a battle instead of them. So yeah, I, I think that those battles play super well in the like Knights aggro builds and the Convoke builds that happen to have a good number of cheap flyers. If you're in kind of the grindy Phyrexian space, you might not want to be there. If you're in the like all, you know, instant speed, card draw and counter spells, Wrath and Blockers control deck, you might not want to prioritize the battles. But if you're good at attacking and flipping them, they you know they certainly pay you for it. Any color best to splash in blue-white slash uh, more synergistic rares to splash? So again, it's hard to say what's the most synergistic without knowing what your strategy is. And I think that there are a lot of different strategies that are viable. For example... If you're doing the like deck looping thing, then I would be interested in splashing black for the uh, two and a black instant that mills three and then uh, gets two creatures back from your graveyard as a way to tear through my deck and uh, set up and loop with Oracle Tragedy. And then while I'm there, I'd be happy to splash some removal or whatever. If you're doing more of the like dedicated all in convoke thing, then maybe you want, maybe you're, you know, some Jeskai combination. Maybe you're not splashing red. Maybe you're splashing white. Maybe you're, you know, even. Maybe you are splashing red. Whatever. Um, you can get some, you know, the like red uh, two mana card that makes two one one weirds is obviously, you know, designed to be great for convoking. So th there's certainly something there. Uh, if you're in the Phyrexian thing, Maybe you want to splash green and maybe you're leaning into the like blue green transform and Phyrexians thing. And maybe, you know, you're just like a Bant Phyrexians deck or maybe you're the Phyrexians and you found uncommon black payoffs instead of uncommon green payoffs. And your Esper Phyrexians is also a 
totally valid place to be. So I think that it's not so much this color is better than this color with the blue and white cards. It's this color is better than this color with this particular thing that you can be doing within blue and white. Note, I didn't say any color was particularly synergistic with knights. Uh, again, the more aggressive you are, the fewer colors you want to be, just always. And there also are no knights in other colors. So like, if you are just the tempo-oriented you know, knight aggro deck, then you probably should not be splashing. You say, is the fixing in this set pretty flexible? Yeah, so Skittering Surveyor, uh, all-star from Dominaria. That's a fantastic piece of fixing because it's colorless and lets you find any basic land. So it's, you know, plus one to all of your sources. So if you're a three-color deck and you have one of those and you're trying to figure out, like, what your land mix is, it instantly jumps you from 17-colored sources to 20-colored sources, whereas, like, a dual land would only jump you from 17 to 18 total-colored sources in your deck. And that card is nowhere near as good as it was in Dominaria, um, which means that it's a much later pick, which means that it's easier to get. There's also the colorless descendant of Jaspera Sentinel, the uh, Flywheel Racer, um, the two mana, two, three, three, two Vigilance that taps for a man of any color if it's a creature and has crew one. Totally reasonable card to play, especially if you're making like random 1 1 tokens or whatever. It's a okay vehicle just as a 3 2 vigilance. And then um, it fixes your mana. There, there are a lot of other ways to, you know, fix your mana if you're trying, especially since I do think most decks that I've had, and I'm someone who likes to splash, have only wanted to be two color. A lot of the synergies are pretty well contained in two colors. It's really important in my mind to curve out in this format and being three colors makes you stumble a little bit more and i haven't had a shortage of playables most of the time all of that's led me to be in a spot where even if i could play three colors i tend not to want to and so for the people who are trying to play more it's there and you can so you certainly can splash in blue white if you are one of the slower decks and you have a reason to um so i would suspect that a lot of the time even if you position yourself to if blue and white are open you'll end up kind of not doing is the alabaster host intercessor any good yes so that's the uh six mana three four plane cycler that um exiles a creature when it enters as long as it's in play i don't think it's amazing I'm relatively low on land cyclers because I do think spending mana to land cycle in the early to mid game is very painful. And I'm low on expensive cards in blue-white. But it is very flexible and having a 3-4 that answers one of your opponent's cards is a really strong thing to get in limited. I... Personally, have not been approaching it as a card that I want to prioritize. It's not a high pick for me, um, and I have not been playing a lot of them, but I do respect it as a playable. But it's a card that I'm kind of looking to get cheap or free, and I'm not sad if I don't have it. I suspect that there will be some players who value it more highly than I do, but I do think that I'm right, and I don't think that I'll change to valuing it really highly or like really missing it in most of my decks is there a limit to the amount of battles you should have in a blue white deck yes there's a limit to the number of battles you should have in any deck because 
each battle doesn't help you flip the previous battle until you've flipped it. And the more battles you have, the more, you know, if your opponent has, like, if, you, if you've played three battles, you can, you know, it's hard to flip a lot of them at once. I haven't worked out what the exact number is, and um, I have had too many. Um, certainly, the better you are at flipping them, the more you can have. And, uh, you know, if you have some that are really good at, like, snowballing into letting you flip more, great. Uh, but you you don't want a lot of them. I would start to, you know, like, if I have four, I'm probably not going to look to fit, play the fifth, but, like, I don't have the answer to what the right number is. Side note, Sirkovich, if you're listening to this or anyone else, I would strongly, I would really like to see a thread on win rates as a function of number of battles at some point once we have some more data mostly just to try to isolate like in general what number of battles is best i guess i talked a lot about the convoke cards so i should mention like i said i think aerial boost is better than cut short i think aerial boost in general is fantastic among the blue cards uh i really like instant speed i think the best Blue common convoke card is Meeting of the Minds, um, which is the four mana instant draw two. I think Temporal Cleansing and Thunderhead Squadron are fine but unimpressive due to the being sorcery speed. Um, that's the uh, put a creature back in its own use library for four mana sorcery and the three four flying creature. Um, I l really like the blue uncommon convoke cards. Uh, especially the uh, six mana counter spell that uh, draw also does the draw two discard thing. But I also like the plus two plus two flying draw card for five. And I think the uh, tap two things down and uh, distribute two stun counters card is actually really, really good. Forest dispersal question mark. The forest dispersal exclamation point. One of the higher win rates uh, in the early stats among blue cards Obvious, you know, closest comparison in some ways is Buried in Books, where this costs two less mana for each mode, and instead of uh, putting the creature back in their library, it puts it in their hand, but you get to surveil two, which is very significant. I've definitely been in some spots where, uh, you know, like, the format Snowball, and being able to get rid of an attacker for a single mana is just huge in terms of like being able to recover when you're behind also like tricks are very good in the format and a bounce spell trumps most tricks so um getting that represented for such small amount of mana is also great yeah a forest dismissal is very good oh yeah and also you know it kills decently sized tokens dead forever and you get to surveil on top of it so re really really good against tokens also, sometimes your opponent invests a lot of mana in transforming something that costs like six mana or whatever to transform, and you bounce it in response, and you've eaten like nine of their mana or something, uh, and you got to surveil. You're not up a card, but I mean, at a certain point, some amount of mana is worth a card most of the time. So yeah, that's, that's very good. Also, I should comment on... The uh, scab, the five mana four four ETB, both players mill three, 
then you can put an instant or sorcery from your graveyard on top of your deck. This card has notably incredible win rates on 17 lands right now. It's like the third highest blue common, um, and that's surprising. It's an expensive card that doesn't do a lot in, like, doesn't have natural synergy in a lot of blue decks, but I do think the ceiling on the card's really high. Rebuying your best spells is a big deal. Uh, five mana, four, four is fine rate. And milling your opponent enables some of the other blue cards. There's also a Mondo combo that I personally have assembled with uh, C-Double, the rare instant for four mana that can copy a spell or creature, or if your opponent has eight cards in their graveyard, it can copy both. Uh, C-Double with the scab is really, really, really good because when you play either one and then the other one, you assemble both of them. and then you get in this spot where the scab puts the C-double on top of your deck. The C-double copies the scab. The scab copy mills both players and puts the C-double back on top of your deck. And now this is costing your draw step, but every turn you're drawing a 4-4 and you're milling your opponent. And so pretty quickly you get to the point where your C-double is enabled for the eight cards in their graveyard. Now it copies both a spell and a creature. And now you're in a spot where if anyone plays a spell, you get to copy that spell and copy your 4-4 and put C-double back on top. And all of this is milling your opponent and can't mill you out. Because if you have no cards in your library, in your upkeep or whatever, you copy your 4-4, you mill your empty library, and then you put your C-double back on So your opponent needs like a counter, like needs a removal spell because C-double is uncounterable. Or uncopyable? Maybe it's only uncopyable and not uncounterable. They need to be able to disrupt it in order to deck you. Um, uncopyable, not uncounterable. Okay. So, can be countered. They need some way to disrupt you. They're not going to deck you as long as that thing is happening. So, the uh, scab is something that you should really look for. Any So, C-double is just like a good rare. You should play it. But anytime you open it, you can probably find a scab in the draft. And... Because if you've cast, like, the if the scab is in play and you draw the C-double whenever, or you draw the scab after you've played C-double, like, you assemble the combo a lot, and it, like, matters a ton. So that's, you know, a thing to look for in any blue deck. Guessing the deck is a big game deck, but if you don't get a lot of flyers to break through a stalemate, what sort of ways can I play to get through? So... I'm not sure if this, the answer uh, about just in general, like blue-white is a big game deck in that you want a large board because you're Convoke um, and you like have a bunch of card draw and not a lot of removal and you have like some tempo plays to prolong the game. So the question is, how do you break through in this spot? Like this is, you know, related to the fact that like a lot of people ask me like, what's your win condition? Like, how are you ending the game? The answer for me most of the time is I don't care. I'm I'm not that's not a thing that I'm thinking about. The way that I'm gonna break through is I'm gonna have 20 creatures to my opponent's four and I'm gonna attack with all of them at some point, or like maybe I'll double activate Raph, or like maybe I'll assemble some kind of like library loop and like deck my opponent or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um as long as you have like enough card advantage. Like if, if you're building some kind of real engine, that's just how you win. And then if you're not like 
building some kind of real engine or like huge amount of card advantage, then it sounds like you should be, you know, more of like a dedicated like flyers with tempo, like lock your stuff down and attack unites deck. I've had decks in this format, not necessarily in blue white, that it could happen in blue white, that are just really good early game decks. And like if the opponent stabilizes, they just lose. And that's fine. Like the the early game is so good that you win most of the games quickly. And when you fail to do that, you can't go over the top of what other decks are doing. You have no recovery scenario and you lose and you play another game. And it's the same thing as like an aggro deck and constructed. Some of your knights decks are going to be like aggressive decks where if you don't win the game, you lose the game. And that's fine. Your deck might be a really good aggro deck that wins the game 60-70% of the time pretty quickly. And then when that doesn't happen, you lose. And that's just what your deck is. If that doesn't sound like where you want to be, then I recommend doing the other thing. Drafting a lot of card advantage, uh, just you know, drafting kind of stuff to have inevitability and figure it out. How much do you value removal in blue-white? This is a question that I should definitely... I, I think I saw that floating around earlier and is definitely worth talking about. This is... There's a lot of removal in blue-white that I don't value at all. I mentioned that I'm not very high on the uh, Intercessor. I am not very high on the Pacifism. Obviously, that's just a thing about me. Maybe it's fine, maybe it's not, but I really need to be proven that I have to play a pacifism in any limited format before I just do it myself. Um, I'm not interested in the blue bad pacifisms. There are two different two-mana common enchantments, one that makes a creature an O2 defender and one that mills some cards and uh, gives a creature a minus power based on number of cards in graveyard. Not interested in any of that stuff. I'm interested in cut short. If I'm a defensive deck with a bunch of card advantage, not interested in, in it if I'm aggressive. I'm interested in bounce spells. I'm interested in tempo plays. I'm interested in some counter spells. But as far as like, wait, don't you have to have a way to kill your opponent? Nah, <laughs> I can block. Uh, I can, you know, whatever. It'll be fine. If there's some, you know, ridiculous rare that you actually have to kill, maybe I have a removal spell. Maybe I lose to it. I certainly don't have like a target number of removal spells that I need, and I'm certainly not willing to play bad removal to have removal. And because I'm primarily concerned with just like the synergies in my deck and getting my creatures out and, uh, you know, having my convoke enablers and payoffs and stuff like that, I'm often going to not have a ton of interactive spells, especially removal in my blue and white decks. Are there any special cards in the special booster slot that would put you into blue-white, like Raph? Yes, Raph. There are probably some rares. I didn't study that closely. Raph is the uh, multiverse legend that is both blue and white. Uh, there's also like the 1-3 that makes things unblockable, Tetsuko or whatever, Umazawa, and there's like Wendy, the first strikers have double strike knight that there just aren't a lot of first strikers, so it doesn't matter very much. The 1-3 is pretty good. It threatens battles well. It's like decent stats on a creature to convoke with. But Wrath, you know, from that sheet, and just in general, Wrath is the card that's kind of like most likely to put me into the fight. So there was a question earlier about the uh, counterspell um, 
the uh, counter a creature or battle unless the opponent pays like four, and then if they do, you get to uh, make a incubate token. I think that card's fine. Um, I might be. It's it's possible that it's better than I've been giving it credit for. If you like the new Jinja Texas? Would you first pick it? So it's largely a five mana five five ward two, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with five mana five five ward two. Draw a card when you cast a non-creature spell, mana three or greater. That's like not that difficult to do, especially since it triggers off of stuff that doesn't actually cost three land, you know, three real mana. Like it triggers off Cut Short and uh, Temporal Cleansing and Meeting of the Mines and Forest Dispersal. So it sounds like a very, uh, yeah, I suspect I would first pick it most of the time. I don't think it's like one of the better rares, but I think that a ton of the rares in this set are often going to be the first pick in their pack. Xerix Knight first pickable. I think that that's the 2-2 uh, flyer that can tap to make a 2-2 if you've played two spells, in which case, yes, that card's one of the best in common. Absolutely fantastic. And that's going to do it for us. So thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in. I am really excited about this set. For me, this has been a really welcome change from uh, Phyrexia All Will Be One. Uh, definitely looking forward to uh, diving into the other colors. Um, I think that this archetype is really you know, flexible and interesting, and I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in other uh, color pairs too. So um, yeah, I, I think this set's sweet, and I'm really looking forward to it. So thanks, everyone, and bye for this week. And I'll be back next week with another episode. I actually hope to be able to um, open this up to a poll for patrons to decide what we'll be talking about next week. Um, but that's going to be a decision that I'm going to have to make after the weekend when I decide how comfortable I'm feeling with uh, things in general. Also possible that it'll be like a partial poll where I just give a few options. That might be the most likely situation. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Bye. Prepare for light speed.